join us as we take a look behind the scenes with the independent musicians of Louisiana. Learn about upcoming projects before they drop. Experience the rich heritage of iconic venues and get first-hand accounts of exclusive events. Musicians are remarkable people. Get to know them, their struggles, and the inspiration for their art. NewOrleansMusicians.com is dedicated to uplifting the artists and providing them with the tools necessary to elevate their craft. We shine a spotlight on them, as well as highlight the music scene and educate everyone with our interviews, album reviews, and music scene news. This is NewOrleansMusicians.com. So, hey, this is Kirk Winstein. Uh, I play guitar and sing a little bit. Sing a little bit and play a little guitar. And your bands right now, uh, Crowbar, uh, I Am, but you've also had other projects. Maybe you could cite off a few of those names. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm back doing down. I got back with those guys in 2020. Yeah. So it's Crowbar, I Am, Down. Uh, I have a... I have one solo record out. My second one is complete and will be coming out this year. Well, next year. Um, 2024, to clarify. Uh, I also do a project here and there with Jamie Johnston from Hatebreed called uh, Kingdom of Sorrow. So okay. a lot of stuff going on at all times, and that's the way I like it. Yeah, I hear that. I didn't know that about the uh, the Hatebreed. Yeah, it's you, cool stuff, man. Where did you, uh, where'd you grow up? You were born here, huh? I was actually born in Middlesex, England. My dad was in the Air Force. No shit. And then we moved. My parents were from here. They both passed away, but they uh they were from here. My dad joined the Air Force, went to England. But I mean, I was back. I think we moved. I think we went to San Antonio. He finished up his uh, Air Force. You know, I think whatever four years or whatever it was. He finished that up in San Antonio, and then we moved back. We actually moved to Harahan. That's as far I remember back. In the late '60s, you know, mm-hmm. that's as I was born in '65. So I remember being like, just bits and pieces, you know, it's yeah. very foggy and vague. But I do remember my sister when she came home from the hospital. She was born in '68, and uh, I've but only remember that that one day. That's funny because yeah. it was, I guess, a special day. You know? Sure. But uh, you know, uh, and other than that, I mean, I, I was. I grew up in River Ridge. My parents bought their first house in River Ridge in 1970. And I live in River Ridge now. Yeah. I mean, I've lived around. I've never lived out of state. Um, I mean, touring so much, you know, you like you live you wherever you, you're at. But yeah. I've never technically had an, a mailing address out of the state of Louisiana. Yeah. Or even really out of the greater New Orleans area. Yeah. Um, so, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I was born in... Uh, at uh, East Jefferson Hospital, brought home to Kansas Avenue, not too far from here. And then the years that I can remember, my earliest memories are on Elizabeth Avenue, which is right down Jefferson Highway from here. Um, I've always enjoyed this area because it's kind of like unto itself. Even Harahan, for instance, is its own municipality, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but yep. it's out of the way. It's There's nothing on the other side, right? You got a river on one side and the yeah. rest of the world... On two, I know? mean, on a on a normal day, you know, my wife Robin and I, we got everything we need in River Ridge and Harahan. We go into Elmwood, and that's if we can avoid the heart of Metairie, like you know, Veterans Highway and all that shit with all that traffic. Yeah. And I don't like driving on the interstate unless I have to. So, you know, for the most part, our life is, and we like it that way. Is yeah. is River Ridge Harahan. 
uh, you know, and maybe we'll venture in Elmwood or something, man. That's all we need to do. Uh, you, and, you know, it works for us. Your parents, um, I'm imagining that they, they moved around while your father was doing it. I guess they call it a tour of duty. Not, not really, because he, he was, I think he joined, I was born in 65, so he, he graduated in 1958 uh, from high school and worked with his father for a while and then joined. Yeah. But uh, I, we were back in... We were back in uh, the New Orleans area, I think, about 1967 or something. So I was like two years old. My dad went to, I guess, what is it, in Mississippi, Keesler or whatever. The Air, Air Force, Force Base. Base. Yeah. And did basic training and all. And then he got stationed in England. So mm -hmm. Middlesex is not that far outside of London. Um, and he was there for a little bit you know i was conceived and born there but i was back here by the time i was back in, in san antonio excuse me by the time i was like a year old and then we moved here like maybe a year after that when he finished up and went back to work with his dad so um you know we we i wasn't like a military brat kid because That's he, was he, he wasn't you a got, life, you got a the stable though. part of the life yeah i, I mean yeah. i was so young you know like my dad was already you know, uh, honorably discharged sure. after doing his service by the time my sister was even born. So she, you know, and I don't remember any of it. Yeah. I was an infant and then just a little bitty kid, you know. So. Mm -hmm. When uh, you were talking about your earliest memory of her coming home and, and uh, distinctly remembering that day, do you, do you recall uh, any kind of music that was being played in the house? I guess when you were old enough to notice, I don't know what... What age that happens with people? I mean, my, my dad was a big, uh, I guess when I was really young, you know, his favorite band was always the Rolling Stones. Okay. But the thing is, like, me being born in England in 65, my dad, my mom and dad were there uh, kind of during the British Invasion explosion, you know, with the Beatles and they the Who being, and yeah. the Stones. And the they were being conceived at that time. And exactly. Yeah. You know, it was all of this, the kinks, all of this stuff's just starting to really get rolling. And um, so my dad was always a big rock and roll music, you know, music fan growing up. And he never played an instrument, but he was a big influence as far as uh, me becoming a musician, you know, because, uh, you know. He was he, in the house? Yeah he, yeah. he he loved to listen to music, you know. And uh, my mom listened to different, more. Uh, you know, Neil Diamond and, you know, just Engelbert, Humperdinck and all these kind of, which it was good songs <laughs> and shit, but my dad was more of a rock and roll guy, you know. Yeah. He'd buy, like, the little 45s, like, you know, Rod Stewart songs and shit like this, I remember. You know, like when Saturday Night Fever was getting big, I mean, he, he had, he loved the BGs. he had some BGs, 45s and stuff like that, and, you know, back then in the 70s, you know, parents would have little parties at different houses in the neighborhood and mm -hmm. people come over for cocktails and play cards and shit like that and you know i mean i i'd you know i'd pop in and out but for the most part i'd be in my room but i'd hear all the all the music on right. on the weekends when they'd have the parties by house you were familiar with so, the catalog huh yeah and i mean just <laughs> riding around in the car you know with my mom and dad you know my dad lo loved more so than my mom as far as being a music fan but just riding around with him like my dad him and his father were wholesale milk distributors, so they had their own company. And my grandfather died when I was only nine. His dad passed away when uh, in 1974, so my dad took over the business himself. And like 
from the time like when I was like 12, 13, 14 years old during the summer, I worked with my dad doing the milk route. Okay, this oh, is still when you had right. all all mom and pop groceries, and he would get the the buy the milk wholesale or whatever from Brown's Velvet Dairy, and mm-hmm. then stock the stores. Well, his dad had already had all the connections, and then he worked with his father, and they had their own company. And uh, but you know we'd do we'd start our route in the morning, you know, pretty early, and uh, we'd hit a couple of spots, and I remember like. The biggest thing of the day was we'd finish up in Kenner and then we'd stop. You know, back then it was great. You're a little kid in the 70s, so getting McDonald's for lunch every day. Now it's like, you know, I don't know. I don't even want to see it. But <laughs> right, right, it, was, right. it was great. We'd stop at McDonald's by Williams Boulevard and Veterans and go. We had the milk truck, so we had to go inside and get it to go. I don't even know if they had drive up windows back then anyway. And um, and then we'd drive out to Reed. Uh, boulevard in the east which back then was nice and thriving and uh we'd we'd drive out there the last two stops were reed boulevard and then we'd drive from there all the way back over the high rise and across the the river to terry to, to um terry parkway supermarket yeah. so that was at like lunch the rest of that break was only two stops yeah and that was it for the day. It was the same route every every. He did Monday, Tuesday, took off Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and he was off Sunday. So Sunday and Wednesday he was off. So I worked with him that whole time, and uh, we'd listen to the radio, you know, the whole time and just talk, you know. Yeah. But I mean, you know, we'd listen to whatever Q ninety three or uh, WRNO, whatever was going on. But right, we'd, right. Uh, we'd listen to all, you know. So like when I hear songs on the classic rock radio stations now it just brings me back to then which is a great time sure. in life and that's what really got my love of music rolling you know yeah yeah my dad uh he like i told you before we started recording he used to like hunt and fish and all of that stuff and uh so he had a van no windows everything and gutted out of it he'd put his hunting stuff in there camping stuff and he could fit a three-wheeler in that thing damn but uh he had two home stereo speakers, the wood cabinets with the tweed, yeah, yeah. you know, and he had a little amp that uh, he bought at Radio Shack, and he wired it in and put it in the dash and all of that, wrapped it in the towel and put it in the dash. But he had a, a beanbag chair in the back, and that's where I sat, right between them two tweed speakers, and he'd yeah. crank it up, and it was it was Doobie Brothers and, you know, 38 yep. Special and who knows who else, the Stones and, and all these great bands, you know. That era just seemed, when I look back, it just seems like there was, there was nothing... It was a once in a lifetime. It feels like that. Yeah, to me, man. Right? I mean, you know, and the more I look back, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you know, people can think, oh, you, you know, you, to me, you know, he's just getting old or whatever. You're just getting old. But I'm like, no, man. They just don't have bands like that where everybody can sing. Bands like the Eagles, the Doobie Brothers, like I said, everybody can sing. Everybody can play their ass off. They write amazing songs. They just don't have. They don't have bands like that now. I don't see. Honestly, I don't see the distinguishment. <laughs> amongst artists where what I felt like back then it seemed like everybody had such an individual characteristic or feature where you would hear him and you would totally. know hands down that is so and so hands down that is that guy whereas today I don't feel like there's they're doing as much that sets them apart from one another and I feel like there's there's like some underlying causes, which is a whole other can of worms. But right. what, when I look back, I feel like they they just had so many bands that had so much to offer, and they were different from each other. 
I agree 100%. I love that era, it's, dude. You know, nowadays, I mean, you know, the so-called pop music or whatever, even like the, the new country, it's like everybody sounds the fucking same. Every song's yeah. the same shit. All the hip-hop stuff's the same to me. I mean, I'm not a knowledgeable fan of the, of the music. I appreciate it for art, you know, and for what it is. But um, even like the newer heavy bands, it's like to me, I can't, Maybe I am getting old, but I can't tell one from the other. It's got to be invented. They all sound. It, they all have the same style. Sure, you know, to yeah. me. Um, did you did you pick up on that when you were a kid? Did you pick up on the the fact that I don't know Rod Stewart sounded different from uh, Leonard Skinner? Or... I mean, and yeah, I mean, I did in a, in a you know, depending on what mood I was in too. It'd be like, okay, what what. What album do I want to listen to? Do I want to listen to Fleetwood okay. Mac Rumors? Do I want to listen to Eagles Greatest Hits? Do I want to listen to, you know, Kiss Alive? Do yeah. I want to listen to Zeppelin, uh, Physical Graffiti, or whatever it might be? You know, uh, Alice Cooper, whatever, sure. man, fucking anything, you know. Anything but by the time really. you're making those decisions, though, you look, this is not milk route time. This is a little bit later. It's, it's later, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, because, I mean, I, unfortunately, he lost that business, but you know, got back on his feet by hard, you know, doing, by working his ass off and got everything, always took care of the family, so that's great. But, um, yeah, as I started getting into my, by the time I was 13 years old or something, you know, I, I would get an allowance, uh, five bucks a week, and that was like taking out the garbage. When I say doing the yard, I don't mean just like half-assing. It was like mowing the lawn, Edging, weed whacking, you know, sweeping, sure. spa, hosing the whole nine yards. You know, I might get 20 bucks to clean the gutters, you know, like once a year or something like that. Right. Extra shit. But, I mean, I remember we had a right right here in Harahan where Winn-Dixie is by the Harahan River Ridge line that Winn-Dixie used to be a Barker's department store. Uh -huh. And they carried everything. It was like a Sears Jr. or something, you know. And they had a record collection area in there and I remember uh, I got five bucks a week allowance and um, and I was young at the time you know because I mean with my dad I got eight dollars a day during the summer to work with him mm -hmm. so and then when I started my first real job if you want to call it that I was only like 15 the uh, where Taste of Tokyo is in River Ridge. Used to be a restaurant called Mimi's. Uh -huh. I started there when I was like, like about 1980. I was like 15 years old, and you get. You, I worked Friday and Saturday night washing dishes. You got 20 bucks a night cash. So for a kid 15 in 1980, yeah, 40 bucks a weekend was great. You know, for your record collection and sure. whatnot. But I would uh, when I got my allowance every Friday, I'd get on my bike and ride from my house on Steamboat Lane over to Barker's department store. And I remember a record, an album uh, with tax was $4.53. Uh -huh. And I remember uh, seeing, I just got into Kiss. I saw Kiss Alive 2, which was a double album. So it was like maybe six ninety nine plus tax. Sure. And I only had five bucks. So I literally, I remember it vividly. I took the record. And I put it in like the children's music section. I only had one copy of Kiss Alive. I put it in like the Peter Pan or some Nobody shit. Nobody would spot it. Exactly. <laughs> like all the rock and roll people looking at it wouldn't, you know, wouldn't grab it. Right. And um, I hauled ass home on my bike and robbed my sister knows. I robbed her piggy bank <laughs> and had like a pocket full of quarters or whatever. And I had my five bucks and I went up and it was seven something for Kiss Alive. And that started it all. And from then on, it was like, 
that was the thing, the bell, you know, the, yeah. the epiphany, the bell that went off in my okay. head and light bulb or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, this is what I want to do. I want to play rock and roll. 15 years old, you're spinning records in your house and uh, in your room, and uh, you decide this is it. Actually, 13, but was more around uh, when I started, when I started really building a record collection. Like, my parents would buy me singles, you know, it was like, okay. you know, maybe what 79 cents or something yeah. i mean all of the all of the drug stores you know even even when they started with chains like Edgar drugs and stuff like that they all had an album in a poster and a magazine uh area in there that you could get but i started um you know kind of building my record collection when i was really young but uh, I started playing guitar at 13. Oh, okay. And um, really 12, my parents bought me an Epiphone acoustic and said, look, if you take a liking to this and you, it looks like you show promise and you really, you know, have a knack for it, and you, you, you know, because a lot of kids, I want, I want, I want, and then they get and yeah, they fool around with it and it collects dust. Yeah. <laughs> no, I kept, I, I was uh, a friend of mine, Ted Hoosey, uh who unfortunately died in a car wreck very young. He uh, he played guitar. He had a Gibson SG, and he used to take lessons from some little, like, you know, hippie rock and roll guy. So he showed me chords and stuff, and I kind of just taught myself by ear. And after, like, a year, my parents got me an electric, and, uh, you know, I, that was it. You know, I mean... What uh, what came first, the Kiss Alive album or the guitar that they gave you? Um, the Kiss Alive album. Okay. And I then got maybe into Kiss, like, you asked him for the guitar based on what you were seeing and hearing with Kiss? Yeah, I mean, like, uh, the first guitar they ever got me is hanging in here. It might be in the control room. It's a black Les Paul Custom. And my, my parents weren't rich, but my dad's cousin in the 70s worked for a company called Norland Music that distributed Gibson guitars, Pearl drums, and Moog synthesizers and stuff. Nice. And, um... He got my dad like his like sales, you know, like rep Discount, rate or whatever. Yeah. And the guitar has underneath a uh serial number, it's got second stamped on it, meaning it what happened is it had a paint flaw on the back. So when I got the guitar, you know, I didn't give a fuck I had a Les Paul, you know. But um right away the paint in the back started kinda of peeling off. Like I'll show it to you. Uh, that's actually the guitar Kenny uses with the IM stuff. He uh, he he loves Les Paul. So, but that's the guitar. Uh, and my wife Robin got that redone for me completely, like stripped down to just wood. Uh -huh. All the electronics, the nut, the tuning key, every bit of hardware, uh, frets, everything just ripped out and completely redone uh, for like a Christmas present a couple of years, a while, a little while back, maybe like uh, twenty. 18 2019 or something and uh you know i don't i don't travel that that, that guitar lately has been staying here mm -hmm. um <clears throat> i think dwayne's got it pretty safe here so yeah he's got like more cameras and fucking fort knox yeah so, but uh i needed assistance I keep it here. to get to the bathroom <laughs> watch when you leave yeah it's dark man every every eight feet or something boom a light's on yeah but um which is good you know but but um but yeah, man, my wife got it redone for me, so uh, I brought cool. that over here. I got that. I got my uh, white Explorer, Gibson Explorer, and I got my Paul Stanley Ibanez Iceman, which I really love the way it plays and sounds. It's a great guitar. 
those three stay here. I'm using those where I am right now. Um, but I won't fly or take uh, those out of town any longer. Those are they've been retired. The, the trailer queens now. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know that it'll be studio guitars. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's it. You know, maybe like a local show or something. But uh, it's too 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 much of a sentimental thing and, sure. and whatnot. You know, that yeah. I don't that's amazing that you have your you have your first one. There's a lot yeah. of musicians that they. Uh, <sighs> They reach a point where they want to, let's say, go from switch from acoustic to electric or something, or, or even vice versa, and they sell the first one to get the second one, and then they look back to all this time later and they're like, "What was I thinking?" What? Are, yeah, yeah, it's like it's, God, a, it's a part of your history, you know. Uh, my parents said, "Look, you know, do you know anybody that might want to buy the acoustic?" And I said, "Yeah." So I sold it to this guy Jay, who was a floor guard. I think they used to call him at Skate Country USA over in Elmwood, way before Elmwood was built up. Mm -hmm. It was nothing out there. It's nothing like it is today. But um, he uh, he bought it for me, uh, fr from me, and I gave my parents some money because they bought it for me, you know. But, um, but yeah, man, that was the whole thing. I think I got that acoustic when I was about 12. And my guitar, uh, we looked it up. The serial number it was billed june 6 1978 and i got it in for christmas of 78 oh sure and i still got it and it's you know it's that's what kenny uses on on the im stuff that's awesome actually i did uh with down i, I used it on down too a bit it was banged up at the time but not nearly as bad as it it got just sitting up you know after that that was done in uh <clears throat> october really november of of 2001 yeah but I played, uh, I played New Orleans as a dying whore on that last fall. I remember using that one for some reason. We we'd have a bunch. We had a bunch of guitars, a bunch of different amps with down. Yeah, it's more like a, you know, '70s vibe. So we kind of we we don't have one tone. Every song needs a different tone, so we use different guitars and different gotcha. amps for every song. Yeah. But I remember doing New Orleans as a dying whore on that. Our producer Warren Riker, like we had just gone to sleep. It's like at like you know three or four in the morning it's like fucking six in the morning you know we had been drinking all day partying all day and all that and he wakes me and pepper up and he's like i want y'all to do some guitar tracks and i'm like dude i'm still drunk you know and he's like you'll be fine come yeah. on you know and I, and, and I went down and you know it was kind of like a one take thing on the solo so i was never really happy with the solo but it's more it was more of that vibe yeah and that's really what counts you know it, it's it's like just capturing that moment or whatever was was a cool thing so uh but yeah that guitar is is, is really really awesome man it's it's you know i thank my parents for working working hard my dad especially for working hard to to get that for me you know so that's cool you still yeah, have your uh your journey from there once you had that guitar were you taking lessons like your buddy was from somebody or did you just kind of teach yourself along the way or how did it go i started teaching myself well, what happened is my parents we got the guitar from a place on veterans highway down by bonneville called mitchell's music the acoustic the epiphone okay and um <clears throat> I started taking guitar lessons from a guy named John Freeze. I'll never forget this. And what happened was, you know, I'm all in Kiss and Zeppelin and Aerosmith and everything, Leonard Skinner, just like everybody else. Well, he's trying to teach me correctly, you know, and he's teaching me songs I've never heard of and, uh, you Not know, trying to teach genre. me from scratch. And I'm like, no, man, I want to play Stairway to Heaven. And he's like, <laughs> 
No, you got you got years. They don't do that. Yeah, they don't let you do that. Well, I mean, the, the, he he was trying to do it the correct way. That's what, yeah, yeah, and you know, and teach me theory and chords and scales and all. And I got I got I guess impatient, and I just said, "Fuck this! I'll teach myself how to play." So yeah, I still don't know, like you know, like doing uh, like I mean, the good thing with down is everybody's ear taught, so nobody throws around like different scales and modes and this mm -hmm. and that but it i guess it could be i don't find anything negative about it but working with somebody like kenny who knows all of that stuff um you see how beneficial it is when you're doing something like even when i'm doing solos and stuff or on my so second solo record vinnie labella labella was very very involved with it with yeah. me and he knows all of that stuff so Working with guys like that, you start to realize like I, I I can I can hear it all. It's just you know Vinny can tell me, love babe, love. What play, that you, is? You play yeah. this, 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 and this, and you don't do this, 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 and this. And I can make do my own thing. Yeah. So instead of taking me an hour and a half to do it all by ear, going all over and trying to figure out what I'm playing, he can just tell me what I can and can't play, and we cut. You know, cut that hour and a half down to twenty minutes, and I got a nice solo. That's the the way it was best described to me, and this was recent. And I've been, you know, like I said, my head into music all my life. Um, it's just a means of communication. And that's the thing is, Kenny will go, okay, this is a minor ninth, bam, this bam, and that, bam, whatever, and he knows, knows what notes to play, right? And I don't, but I can hear them, and uh, you know, it's just it. It's all that. That's why I like doing so many different bands and so many, uh, so many projects and stuff. Is to keep the creativity flowing. Nothing sure. ever gets stale. Uh, it's a different, different vibe with each group of musicians. Yeah. Same thing with with like Crowbar. It's like Matt Brunson and and Shane Wesley, my other guitar player and my bass player both know all the theory so they know what you can now crowbar doesn't do solos but they know a lot way more than i do as far as theory and technical stuff yeah but i write by ear and there's a good there's a good you know it's got its positives and its negatives to not knowing the good thing is i break the rules all the time and when i play with people not anybody i'm playing with right now but even like Dwayne uh, in here at, at OCD, where we're at right now, uh, knows a lot. And Johnny, the intern, knows a lot. And it's like a lot of shit that, like, that note doesn't work. I'm like, yeah, it does. And I'm not being cocky. I'm like, I can hear that it works. And it's like, right. Dwayne will be like, I think it does. Wait a minute. You yeah. Know? We'll yeah. Go listen to it again. And he's like, it's odd, but it works. And I said, but that's the way I want it. You know, it's I don't you want felt. it to. It's yeah. how you felt at the moment. That's yeah. cool. And you know what's funny is if, if I say that uh, it was described to me as a means of communication, well, so is what you just said. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's basically the opposite of what they're talking about when they say this is the means of the means of communication for a musician. You know, you say, no, maybe I just want it to sound, you know, it, it, it if it works, if it, if it, expresses what's on your mind or in your soul then it doesn't matter what language it's said and it'll get there no and, that, and that's exact that's very well put and it's absolutely true and it's like i remember reading it reading an article way back like in the 70s or you know whatever very early 80s with eddie van halen uh talking about music class at high school mm -hmm. and how he was doing something in the in the 
music teacher's like, that you can't do that. And he's like, but it sounds good. And he goes, but it doesn't work. And he goes to the class, like, does it sound good? And everybody's like, yeah, you know, yeah, it sounds good, dude. Yeah, you know, yeah. And and he goes, you know, I was just, and he was classically trained on piano and all, so he knew everything. It's just sometimes you got to break the rules to to make it more original and more uh, to just sound like you, you know, to do to do something different. I mean, I don't think there's any other way. I no, don't think there's I mean, any other way. To me, that's 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 the best way. Uh, but it is. It's handy. It's convenient and. It's quick when you're in the studio to uh, to have people that know, that work with you, that know, you know, yeah. uh, would, and it's not, like I said, it's not that I can't hear what to do. It just takes three or four times longer. Yeah, it cuts down on the time. Exactly. So, so you, uh, what was that like? A, did you spend a full year learning theory at all? Or nah, no? maybe like four or five months once a week. That was it, huh? Yeah, learn basic acoustic chords. My friend Ted actually showed me bar chords, and but he never showed me how to minor. He showed me uh, the major bar chords, and I didn't realize like lifting the middle finger made it. You know, once my ears started to develop, then I started picking things out. And I, I come, I like to always use because I'm a huge Cheap Trick fan, and I love Rick Nielsen's writing, and uh, I, I kind of use his thing, which is I'm sure there's a name for the chords that I play. I just don't know what it's called. Yeah, but it's, it, you know, by the time it's down, I mean. Well, I mean, is it, it even relevant anymore? It, it, yeah, it's because it's, he's it's such a Beatles fanatic, <laughs> you know. And they like I, I was writing a piece one time, and then I did some weird chord, and I don't know what it's called. And Kenny's like, "That's a such and such. It's in this Beatles song. They use it all the time." You know, Dwayne did the same thing on my first solo album. I went to go play like a B minor or something. And he's like, "Try this chord." Yeah, it's like the Beatles used it a lot, and I'm like, "I'm never," you know. So once my fingers trained to it real quick. I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds cool, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I even told Kenny, I'm like, maybe I gotta have the common decency to go, you know, go online or go to fucking Guitar Center or something and get like a Beatles songbook or a Led Zeppelin songbook <laughs> and learn the names of all these fucking things and shit. Because yeah. you know, I can't read it, I can't read music or anything. I can read tablet sure, but yeah. I find that all you know, even in in unless it's the guy who wrote the guitar solo, like. You know, if it's a fucking whatever, Dave Mustaine or something, Megadeth, mm -hmm. unless he's the one that's uh, transcribing the part, it's usually not right. Like, you know, people people try to, I see tablature for crowbar songs and, or down songs, and I'm like, that's not what we're playing, though, you know. Oh, no shit, misinterpreted. Yeah, yeah gotcha. because they're probably following more of the rule book. What and, it's supposed to be. Right, and we don't have a rule book, so... Yeah. Yeah, you know, there's pluses and minuses, like I said, but I suppose yeah. I, I, I remember. I mean, it's similar, not similar. I remember back in high school, they would make us read these um, these different uh, writers' pieces, and it was poetry and whatnot. And then they would go through and they would interpret it, and they're like, "Well, he meant when he said it was a snowy day, he was speaking on death and blah blah blah." I'm like, "How do y'all even know? Yeah, how do you fucking know that, lady? Yeah. Like, what if he was just talking about he was in a long line at the grocery store and he just felt like dying? You know yeah, what I'm saying? Exactly. Like, and it, it aggravates me that and, and people just go with it. They're like, "Yes, well, this this esteemed um, person says uh, that it, that's what it means, and we trust, and, and they leave it at that. And it's like, look, man, interpretation is everyone's own design." 
Absolutely. And if you wrote something because you were really happy, but it made me feel really sad, that song is always going to mean that to me. It doesn't matter what you intended, you know what I'm saying? And exactly. then from there, it takes on a life of its own. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey, what's up, everybody? Normally, in the middle of podcasts, they give you a bunch of advertisements. But on the NewOrleansMusicians.com podcast, we like to shout out our members. Today, I've got a band for you that goes by the name of Pious. The lineup is Eric Fox on vocals and rhythm guitar, Mike Dossey on bass, Michael Ball on guitar, and Donald Albanese on drums. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard about these guys, either at a show or through this podcast. If not, I recently sat down with Eric Fox and Mike Dossey, and you can find that interview in our show catalog on site at neworleansmusicians.com, as well as in our blog on that same site. The whole band has been together decades, and over the years, though it has changed, their main quest has been to create metal music with no expiration. Time-honored classics like Sabbath keep them grounded, while mixing in influences like Clutch, Weed Eater, and King Crimson darken the waters while avoiding any ties to pop sensibility. Their work is a deep dive that is methodical, and from them you can expect extended plays and a sonic richness in the sludge, doom, and stoner metal veins. They've played all along the Gulf Coast, and you can find their music on all platforms, including NewOrleansMusicians.com. Their next album is near completion and tentatively titled Black Magic Robots. It's going to be a three-song EP, each playing out a good eight to ten minutes apiece. I'm going to play for you their latest single, titled Holy Smoke. Check it out, Now back to our show. I mean, like for me, lyrically, I write in tons of things are in metaphors. We're so gonna, it's not gonna, to be taken yeah. literally verbatim. I, it's, a, it's meant to mean whatever it is to you. Yeah. And I'm writing metaphors and it means something else to me. I planned on asking you about that. We will we'll get to that. Sure. Um, uh, I wanted to kind of keep going chronologically if we can. You... Um, Say to hell with the uh, theory. You're learning on your own. Your boy shows you some power. Did you think did power chords set your ass yeah. on fire? Did you oh, think yeah, that was dude, awesome? That was a whole new world, man. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I mean, who, that's like that's the first route to me to sounding like what you're hearing on the radio. Like that shit rocks. Well, I mean, in, like nowadays, everybody does like you know. Did this was like a legit like say fifth fret A major okay chord hitting all six strings like strumming, you know. And uh, where nowadays, even myself, I very rarely do that kind of thing anymore. It's all just power chord, just power you know, chord, yeah, two, two or three, yeah. like basically three notes. If I hit, say I'm doing an A chord, I'll hit the A in the fifth fret, and I'll hit the E in the octave A mm-hmm. in the seventh fret, and that's my power chord crunching or whatever it might be, you know. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, Ted showed me 
that, you know, got me away from just acoustic chords. And I used to have little song, you know, Cat Stevens and all this kind of stuff. Song books, you know, and I learned, I'd learn all this stuff. But I mean, you know, for me, the the greatest gift that I have is, is a, a really good ear and a great sense of timing. So it's like, you know, if, like you can know every bit of theory and every chord in the world. And if you don't have an ear or a sense of timing, you're not going to really be any good. Yeah, yeah. That that's what you really need. Now, if you have it all, that's great. But I mean, I've I've gotten this far with not knowing sure. what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah, right. <laughs> Been a great ride ever since, huh? Yeah. You're uh, so you did pick up a few books, and you were looking in the books on just sure. how to how to form on the neck to be able to come out with what you wanted to play. Not not really like solo and wise. Like I think maybe my friend Ted showed me just chord structure because he kind of lost interest and quit playing as he got older as a teenager you know but uh like she showed me the box scale for playing just like blues just rock and roll box scale and uh i guess it's uh the pentatonic or whatever the fuck right. it's called you know and um uh, that's really all uh i mean i deviate from that here and there uh depending on what what natural real key the song is out of Especially like with the IM stuff, uh, Kenny's writing style is very unlike anybody that I've ever jammed with. Uh -huh. So, you know, um, I mean, I write stuff as well, but him being the main lead singer, you know, I, I kind of just sit back and then if he's like, man, you know, we need to go somewhere with this. I'm like, well, I got an idea. What if we do this? And he's like, okay, cool, you know. Yeah. And I mean, Todd's got his ideas and, and then the the surprise of the last... Second, the second half of the last session we did together was how well-rounded and how great of an ear and everything Johnny Kelly, our drummer, uh, has and how knowledgeable he is with music. So it got to the point toward the end of the writing sessions where he just became the arranger. He was coming up with all these great fucking ideas. Yeah. And I told him, and, I, and I'm going to make it happen. His thing is, uh, and I, he just go, you're welcome. <laughs> and then he goes sit behind the drums and just kill it, you know. And I'm yeah. like, so I'm like, I want to get him a T-shirt made that just says "You're welcome." Yeah, yeah and, yeah, yeah. and just send it, you know. He wears it around the fucking house or something while he's w working on shit. But uh, you know, so we're really starting to find ourselves as a band now, uh, writing and creating. And you know, we'll get here at ten thirty, eleven o'clock in the morning, and we're rolling within thirty minutes. And by the time Dwayne gets here on a weekday. Uh, we already got a song written yeah. and, you know, 90, 80% arranged and, you know, we're doing drum tracks and we're out of here. You know, we might come at 10.30 or 11, or 11, you know, but we're out of here by no later than 8 o'clock at night. So we come in with somebody who have an idea and we just all write off of each other. And, yeah. and you know, some days we're so quick we even get to go eat lunch, you know. Were you, were you writing... As you were learning, or did did writing come As later on? As a kid, on? yeah, um, kind of because my first well band that actually played a gig was uh, was nineteen eighty eighty and eighty one. I think I, I was like fifteen, sixteen. So I've been playing electric for a little bit, but I was so into sports that uh, as much as I loved music, you know, I kind of came to the realization that my my entire uh, football career is not going beyond high school did, know, did it and, did it have to be that for you to keep playing or keep pursuing it like that's what you had in mind when you were playing 
Well, we gonna... started a band, and it was kind of like... No, 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 I... sports. Like, in order for you to stay in sports, did you feel like you had to be pursuing majors or nothing at all? No, I mean, I just loved mm -hmm. sports, you know, and then, like, I, I kind of got really bitten by the music bug, I guess, like, sophomore and junior year. Yeah. So I played football senior year because I knew that was the last chance to play organized okay. ball. Yeah. Um, but... And then I, right after that, uh, when I made the decision to not go to college, it was, I just, I said, all right, it's, uh, you know, quitting is not an option. Uh, I'm, you know, as it, as time went on just a little bit, I'm like, all right, man, I'm fucking past the point of no return. There's no looking back. You got to just make this happen somehow. So just keep busting ass and working hard. At music to and make it exactly. as a musician. And do production. whatever you got to do, work every shitty fucking job you got to do to buy gear. Yeah. You know, anything, you know, to 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 make it happen. And, um, what you know. Was the, what was the... What was the bug that bit you? I mean, like earlier on, you talked about the the Kiss album, but you were just kind of in love with the notion at that point. Once you started learning chords, you had an instrument of your own, and you started playing. What did it for you then? Because it's got to be more than just they're cool. You know what I'm I saying? I mean, like I, I remember being really bummed out, <clears throat> and this was this was actually a big, big, very short uh, statement. You know, my dad told me, but kind of really. Um, set the tone for the rest of my up until the, the, you know still going on is i was really bummed out trying to learn some you know real fast guitar solo or something and my dad's like you know i was sitting on the couch trying to work on something i was really getting frustrated with myself because i couldn't do it and my dad's like what son what you know what's going on man you know what, what's happening you look kind of aggravated bummed out whatever and i said I can't play this this fucking thing, you know. I, I really need to work on it. I wanna, I wanna learn how to play this this guitar part, and I, I just can't get it down. And he's like, "I'll give you a piece of advice." And I said, "What?" And keep in mind, this is probably early '80s, you know, going in early '80s ish, yeah. And um, but after high school, I graduated in '83, so '84 ish, and I'm really kind of getting my first real band together. And his advice was. Great musicians, he goes, son, great musicians are a dime, a dime a dozen. There's one on every street corner in New York. There's one on every street corner in fucking L.A. There's one on every street corner in New Orleans with a guitar looking for work. You know, drumsticks looking for work. He goes, great songwriters are few and far between. Why don't you concentrate on writing music and quit worrying about how many notes you can play? And it really hit home when I said, you know what? You're right. So, like, even to this day... I don't pick up the guitar. I don't, I don't, I mean, I quit playing cover songs in 1987. Um, and I don't uh, practice like scales and things like that. That's just me. I mean, if, if that's what you enjoy, if whatever it takes for the instrument to give you joy is what it's all about. Sure. Fulfill, make you feel fulfilled yeah, yeah. as artistically and as a, you know, as a musician. But for me, I've never been that way. So when I pick up a guitar, I write. I'm either writing, I'm rehearsing, I'm recording, or I'm playing a gig. I don't just sit around and fuck around on guitar anymore. I mean, I, and this has been for quite a while. But the thing is, is growing up when you're younger and you don't have, 
you know, the responsibilities of a of an adult and a father and, you know, and, and being married and the whole nine yards, you know, putting food on the table and keeping a roof over your head when you don't have these responsibilities. You know, we had band practice. We didn't have any money. So band practice was Monday through Friday, you know, from like 5 o'clock till like 8, 9 o'clock every, every fucking day. That's what we did. Yeah. Like me and Big Todd when we was starting uh, the slugs and shit. Um, but prior to that uh, was Victoria and Blitz, my metal song band that we did a lot of covers, but we did a lot of originals too. And we did a, a lot of obscure stuff, and that kind of prevented us from getting you know the money that the other bands were getting and really getting popular. But covering obscure songs or yeah, co- okay. covering you know stuff that. You know, like these booking agents, and I understand it. That it's almost like a DJ. You know, it's like okay, somebody hires you for uh, yeah that, for this um, event. They want this style of music. You know, you can't pull out some crazy shit out of left field. Yeah, but um, you know, basically, uh, uh, we all learned. We all got our chops and down by by rehearsing so much. And uh, you know, even even when we practice in my in my parents' garage that we soundproofed the best that we could. Uh, we practiced. We all worked a day job. And then we'd meet at my mom and dad's house at 5, and we practiced 5 to 8, Monday through Friday. That's so right. I'd get home from work at like 4, jump in the shower, make a sandwich or something, start fucking around on guitar. And we'd have on weekends, you know, we'd maybe go out Friday night or Saturday night and go have beers and get drunk and have fun. And then we were all back at work Monday morning. So it'd be like, all right, we got, you know, and actually I worked with our our drummer and bass player, mm-hmm. Sid and, and Danny, Sid Monson, and Dar- Danny Terrier work with me at D.H. Holmes Warehouse. And, um, you know, but we would learn, we'd be like, okay, you know, this week everybody learned this song, you know, and uh, everybody go home and do their homework and learn it. And it really, like, from the time I graduated high school at 18 until the time I was, like, even 19 going on 20, uh, I I advanced in that, like, really in about a year and a half tops, a year to a year and a half. I advanced like more than I ever have in my entire. I mean, I guess career. so. You were doing it every day that week. Well, I mean, I would come home from work, you know, play. Yeah. You know, until they got there, then we'd rehearse. You know, songs over and over and over again. Or, you know, everybody. Sometimes we would say, okay. We're going to go, instead of rehearsing, we're going to go in my room and listen to the record. And we're going to all sit in there, gotcha. you know, nice. with our practice nice. amps or something, kind of mm. low. And let's pick this song out. And then tomorrow, you know, everybody. So, I mean, even after band practice, it's like, you know, I'd eat a sandwich or something really easy. And then go play guitar or listen to music, both, yeah. you know, until I went to sleep and had to get up and fucking go to work again the next day. What was your dad saying specifically? Was it because you were just trying to sh- like learn some shredder solo or something, or probably could he see you were just you were trying to match the speed instead of be prolific? I don't know. Like, what is it? Well, I mean, it, it, it's. I think he was trying to tell me, you know, if you want to, you know, it's a lot easier. Yeah, it's not easy in any capacity trying to make it as a musician, but if you're able to create something that's your own and write your own okay. songs as opposed to just being another guy who can because there's always somebody that's played better than you you know it's yeah. always it's just like athletes you know there's always somebody 
as time goes on more and more and, and, you know, nutrition and, and training and everything else, uh, advances, you know, there's always somebody bigger, stronger, and faster, you know, that's why records were made to be broken, uh, in sports. But, um, you know, guitar players, it's like, you know, it, it, it just depends on what kind of guy, what your personality is and what you want to get out of it. And, you know, I, I mean, I totally admire and love, um, guys that can shred and can can yeah. you know i mean i enjoy listening to that kind of music it's just something that never you know like i i look at i'm like you know this is just me but it's like you know i'll take uh i'll take uh a fucking somebody like tom petty or something or mm -hmm. keith richards or somebody uh you know paul mccartney or something over a person like a ingve or something who's not really much of a songwriter, but it, like is an absolutely you know impeccable, as good as you can get musician and guitarist. Right. But I'm more into the songwriting aspect of it than I am, uh, and the creativity which he creates. It's just a different. It's just painting with different colors, you know. <clears throat> and that's what your father was talking about in that moment. Exactly, like and just that's create you your own you style and what you need to do yeah. to be your own person and stick out. You know, and I mean, it still works to this day at, at almost 59 years old, yeah. you know, and all these different bands and stuff where, you know, other guys, uh, you know, want to jam, you know, want me to jam with them. I want to jam with them from from what they've done, you know. Sure. And, uh, and it, you know, it, it. luckily with all of our projects, it, it, it clicks where there's chemistry and um, and the product, you know, at least in my humble opinion, is is good product yeah but that what that didn't mark the end of your cover song days no but it was it wasn't i started we started getting more and more into writing our own stuff and then by like 87 i was just like we all kind of nobody lost interest in fact everybody in the band still plays uh mainly i keep in touch with with sid monza drummer at the time and danny terrio the bassist and they're both still amazing musicians. They just they play more for the love of music. Sure. They don't play in bands, you know. But um, but um, you know, we, I guess, for me, it just I kind of hit a wall, and I'm like, I need to do something different. And that's when uh, Mike Hatch, who was a founding guy and guitar player for Shell Shock, the punk band from New Orleans. Uh, called me. They were supposed to be moving to San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Him, Jimmy Bauer, Mike Savoy, who I who I jammed with in Shell Shock, and and um, who did a lot of our early videos and stuff. Who's now actually the dean at Valdosta State in Georgia. Uh, but he, um, we we uh, Mike called me from like a payphone in fucking Arizona, and he's like, his younger brother Greg had a wife and a kid. And a job set up in San Francisco, so he had to go. Mike said, we all talked about it. We had a rest stop. Greg's on his way to San Fran. He goes, we're turning around and coming home. Do you want to? He goes, I know this is a weird question because it's not your style of music, but do you want to maybe play guitar and sing for Shell Shock and we'll just kind of try to go in a different direction? And I said, you know what? Yes, that's, a, that's what I need right now. It's a breath of fresh air different different genre basically. exactly a totally different genre and then just no more uh 
a totally different scene, you know, everything, you know, just playing like VFWs and things and different venues that, that yeah. we would we would not normally play. There was a circuit for the cover song rock and roll heavy metal uh, bands to play, and Shellshock never did play any of those venues, and the band actually got really big locally at one point. But um, but at the time that was a big breath of fresh air because it put me in a in a band in a position and Jimmy Bauer was actually the drummer that's how we met oh, sure. for that and then you know here we are still playing together you know yeah that's funny that uh that that opportunity came at you because I, I don't think it could have been better timed because the punk scene was not accepting of cover music at all no and, and it was during the crossover like you know I was here I was a long-haired metal dude joining a band that had started in the early 80s when metal dudes would get beat up at punk shows and vice versa, you know? Yeah. So um, it worked out great in a lot of ways, and, and that got me into listening to a lot of, you know, like Mike Hatch, uh, who, you know, most people know that know him committed suicide in 1988, but, you know, he brought me to my first... Black Flag, well, actually only, but, you know, like at that Dream Palace down in a quarter on Frenchman, I think it was. You know, we went and saw Gnostic Front, bands like this, uh, hardcore bands, punk bands and shit, and I really started digging the scene and the whole thing and the fact that it was different than where, I, where I'd, you know, come from. I just wanted to explore different options and, and, and expand everything, really, you know, so yeah. it was a really important uh, part in, in my within you know career really to to make to just jump ship and start doing something totally different you know and it, and you were not fa- you were not familiar before that time with punk music or the punk scene i mean i mean you- i was familiar with it to a degree but mainly from mike like he used to be a, a local promoter too uh-huh. and um you know so we started going to you know sam hayne shows and different bands and stuff and started getting in to this stuff a little bit but you got to realize at that time it's still it's at the same time that you know uh, Metallica you know Cliff Burton's flipping on the Misfits and stuff you know getting obsessed with that and, and everybody it was a crossover period where bands uh, you know it was it was no longer like taboo it was no longer uh, a, a violent thing or a thing of, of the different uh, audiences fighting hating each other and fighting each other where everybody just kind of said let's cross over and everybody do this together well i think the point of contention was hair bands <laughs> well i mean the punk scene said look if you just give up on hair bands then maybe we can all get along <laughs> and i mean this is this is not pre-hair band it's just that you still had your thrash movement exploding yeah, yeah. you know and uh but i mean i always loved it of course and you know in victorian blitz we did a lot of thrash covers and i loved it and i still do mainly the old school stuff you know and i i also think it's great that we i see a lot of younger bands that can really play yeah. got great great musicians and shit that are doing you know what i mean they look and they dress the same way and they sound like fucking metallica kill them all ride the lightning era you know sure and it's great man you know it, it's it really is um you know but for me i i just started, uh, just, I was always searching, you know, um, and maybe not so much at my age now, uh, as far as something new to listen to or a new direction to go in writing-wise. Wow, I wouldn't say that. Um, Look at I am now. 
Yeah, I mean, I've never been in a band like that, you know, but that's a very good point. But as far as listening to new, you know, back then in, in the, when I joined with Shell Shock, it only lasted really a year. And then after Mike uh, committed suicide, we did Aftershock for a very short period of time. Well, me and Jimmy stuck together. Mm-hmm. And Aftershock. Jimmy was eventually, playing drums there yeah, too. Eventually yeah. turned into the slugs which eventually turned into crowbar so even though jimmy left we got craig nunemacher and me and jimmy had started jamming with big todd on bass back in the late 80s uh-huh. and uh so i've been jamming with him that long and now we're still jamming uh, we're jamming again in in the i am you know project which is great um but you know we started listening to more underground stuff we we all not so jimmy what is has always been more punkish where todd and i were more hardcore like new york hardcore bands and shit and jimmy was more punk rockish yeah and i think it shows like and when you look at the difference between a band like crowbar and a, a band like i hate god they're much more punk and we're much more metal yeah um even and when we do play fast it's I call it motorhead speed, but it's basically hardcore riffs. It's like it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. influenced I would, by. I was gonna bring that up too because you were talking about kind of um, getting a, a, a guided tour of punk and the punk scene and punk music and all these things and kind of warming up to the idea and playing with those guys. I didn't see you as, I guess, a technical, technically based musician. Where because. I mean, you were sitting on the couch when your dad said, you know, slow down. You're doing too much, you know what I'm saying? Or trying to yeah, do yeah. too much, you know? And um, it seems like uh, it's funny that you say that that stuck with you all of these years because I feel like it's a part of your character as a musician today where it's, you, I don't see you as trying to do too much to impress the crowd or, or cram too much into what you're writing or playing because technical and and you know but so it was interesting to me for you to say about thrash music and, and being involved in that scene because it seemed like i don't know it didn't seem like it it fits you as well, well i mean honestly it's like i could at one point in time you know i could i could play very fast and and play very technical and stuff but i just i lost interest in it but uh you know when i heard bands like uh, and, and i always use this as as two huge examples but bands like the melvins uh-huh. and bands like carnivore which is ironic because that was my favorite band you know uh when prior to peter Steele starting typo negative and now uh-huh. here i am with a typo negative and a carnivore tattoo playing in a fucking band with kenny and johnny how about you know? that <laughs> yeah it's crazy how life works yeah but um you know, we listen, and we like. You know, we started listening to bands like Trouble, Saint Vitus, and you know, and uh, underground stuff that was real Sabbathy, and I guess early. You know, really listening back on on Trouble, they were very a lot more Beatles and than people. Everybody thought they were like Sabbath Junior, but it was really there's a lot of Beatles in there too. Uh-huh. But um. You know, we we all just started listening to these other bands like Phil Phil would say, and, and Down was the same thing. It was like, sure, we're influenced by Sabbath, but we want to be influenced by the bands that are already out who are influenced by Sabbath, like Trouble Invite Us and Witchfinder General and bands like this. Why, um, why is that? I don't know, because it's a little more underground, you know, uh, although 
they're they're all you know all the guys in those bands of course were huge Sabbath fans, but they still had their own sound. They didn't sound like okay Black Sabbath. They had their own style. You could hear the obvious influence. Yes, yeah, definitely. You know, but they had their own st- writing styles and 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 vocal styles and whatnot. Why they didn't sound uh, like Sabbath Junior? Sure, know? and that that's the thing that I that I think that I like the most. Uh, or at least that I'm most proud of is that people are like, you know, I love everything you do. Well, that's that's very nice, and I, I truly do appreciate it. But, the you know, the fact that I try as hard as I can to not sound like somebody else, even though I'm very influenced by a lot of different songwriters, musicians, and bands, and sonically the way they sound and what and whatever it might be, um, you know, I'm, I get more at the end of the day... I get more out of, you know, whether you love it or hate it, the bands that I play in not sounding like anybody else. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like that's a, that's a vein of integrity for musicians in general, um, a desire to, to be individual. You want to have your own message. You want that yeah, to come through definitely. via your own sound. But at the same time, it, it's funny because, like I've always said, like, your own ideas uh, are kind of like you just, you're a sponge, right? And you're walking through life and shit's being thrown at you constantly, absorbing all of this shit. But what drips out at the bottom is your own. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It had to pass through you first to become something different. It's an yeah. amalgamation of all these things. So as long as you make the effort not to sit down and learn this other guy's shit constantly and then go regurgitate that on stage for another crowd you spend your time like your father was saying i guess um you know that's okay to learn that shit but you, no it's you great need to, to write. learn it right yeah that's that's your building blocks but once you finish with the building blocks you put them in the toy chest and you grow up you know what i'm saying yep, yep. and you you kind of so you evolve and i think uh one of the necessary elements of that is to keep yourself moving around different atmospheres different people different genres different scenes it because it's got to go into that sponge, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, and you're absolutely it, right. You want to become something else. Hey, people, sorry to butt in here, but uh, Kirk and I got to talking, and uh, this thing goes on for another hour, so we're gonna make a part two. And uh, I do hope you tune in because uh, he and I get into his creative process and uh, playing and down, and I am. Um, also, uh, the recording and, and touring ratio that he's got to keep a balance on in his life. So there's a lot more going on in uh, part two. I do hope to see you back, and thank you for listening. Check it out. We all pretty much start off like jam bands. We get together, we push our souls out to the speakers. We look around the stage and read off of one another, and, you know, after so much time, we know where the next person is going. Aside from those connections, we build connections with the fans, and that means the world to us. That's why listeners like yourself are so important to us. We'd love to have you back, so hit the button and follow the show. You can also support this show by going to buymeacoffee.com forward slash New Orleans Music. That's buymeacoffee.com slash New Orleans Music. And remember, you can find music videos, albums, articles, and interviews with bands like my own, Pocket Chocolate, on neworleansmusicians.com. Thanks for listening.